Hey everyone, this is The Beast with RexandTheBeast.com. Welcome to another episode of Coasters and Culture. Tonight, Rex and I are going to emphasize the culture side of our podcast. We're going to talk about one of our all-time favorite sports movies. We're going to get into some music a little bit and just have a lot of fun together. We are glad that you have joined us today, joining the journey at RexandTheBeast.com. Here we go. You know, Rex, the first thing I want to mention tonight is I was looking on our Twitter page and uh, we had posted our podcast from last week and we're going to be posting these every Monday up until our uh, we leave for our new trip. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But I was noticing that uh, we had a reply from uh, Barry Wallace on our Twitter page to the podcast and he says hey one potential future topic is re-rideability which rides improve the more you ride them which gets worse that will be a great topic we're not going to do that tonight uh, but we will we will definitely pursue that at some point in the future uh, but I just wanted to highlight you know your response to him he says for me the Navi River journey gets worse the more I ride it to which you basically say well that's too bad because it was horrible the first time um, is the, is that, I don't know if we've ever, I'm sure we podcasted after we rode the, the river journey and of course flight of passage and everything, but do you remember your first experience being that, that strong that you just didn't like it the first time? No, not quite that strong. That was a little bit of uh, sort of humor and embedded in some reality. I, I do think that I was pretty disappointed in it and I wanted it to be more than it was. Uh, certainly, if you try to compare it at all with uh, Flight of Passage, uh, it's it's not in the same ballpark. So no, I, I it was there's a little little humor license taken there. Um, I, I I do think that it was a disappointing experience from what I had hoped it would be, and I do believe just like Barry said, I think I have liked it less every time I've ridden it. Well, it's interesting because Flight of Passage so far exceeded our expectations and maybe because i went in i was thinking personally that the navi river journey was going to be my favorite i thought i would like it more than flight of passage because flight of passage was going to be another screen simulator similar kind of deal to whatever that we've seen a million times which are not necessarily mine and your favorite rides again one of the reasons that we're so kind of still dumbfounded that we like flight of passage as much as we do but I love dark rides. I mean, this is this is my kind of ride, right? It's a it's a boat ride on the water. You can't get any more classic than that. I mean, you know, whenever you think of that, you just think a jungle Jurassic whatever Jurassic boat ride. <laughs> that's but, what I think of. That's what I think of. But it has cool elements. I mean, some of the technology in there is very cool. I guess the final character is pretty cool. But yeah, for some reason, um, you know bringing all those parts together it, it just it did not produce what i think we were hoping that it would i i, I still can't exactly put my finger on why well, we don't here, like it as much as we do here's one of my thoughts is if you and, and i realize i am putting a high bar on this but i think that's appropriate considering what you know pandora and all of that was supposed to be but if you sit navi river journey 
and Pirates of the Caribbean side by side. I'll go on Pirates of the Caribbean 99 times out of 100 if I'm looking for a dark ride on the water. No, no, there's no question. I don't think anyone would argue with that. I, it, it would be hard. I cannot think of anybody that we know of that would argue with that. I don't yeah, think. But, but if you think about it, I mean, and this is the important point, right? If you think about it, nearly every aspect of Navi River Journey is a higher level, um, whether it's animatronic, whether it's the projection in the background, whether yeah. it's the colors, everything about Navi River Journey is at a higher level than Pirates of the Caribbean is. But And it's not just nostalgia. Um, it, it's also that it's just a, a great ride that hooks you in with a cool story and a really neat setup. But yeah, I, I, I think most people would. I, I, I think nearly everybody would. But just uh, just to make the idea that we are love the boat rides, we love the dark rides, but this is not an all-time classic of either of those. You know, it's interesting just thinking about Pandora. I was listening to our boy from over at Mickey Views, Braden, and he says, he, he, he emphasizes this all the time, that he considers Pandora just in terms of theming, so not necessarily the quality of the two attractions, but just in terms of theming, he considers Pandora to be the best themed island, uh, so to speak, in all of Disney World, better than Galaxy's Edge even. And um, I would have been 100% with him. I would, agree, I would have agreed with that without question before they took away the, cool, the coolness of the nighttime experience, right? And maybe that's back. We haven't been in a long time, or I haven't. I haven't seen it at night. Maybe it's still, maybe they've added some of those elements back again. I don't know. But how, what do you think about that? Is Pandora the best themed experience in Disney? I, I certainly think it's up there. And I, I think probably I look at it as being tied with Batu and Galaxy's Edge um, for overall experience, themed experience. And I agree with you, though. A monstrous part of the theming is the nighttime, that first trip that we went when it was all firing on all cylinders that was an amazing experience um and the concept of it lends itself to nighttime of course then we get into the whole frustration this is true with islands of adventure as well as uh, the disney parks a lot of them is um you just don't get the opportunity at night as much as you would like for some of those things uh, islands of adventure even worse than disney because disney in the summer especially uh, they have pretty deep hours on all their parks but i mean it's like there's two weeks out of the year that if you want to go enjoy the beauty of the nighttime at islands of adventure it feels like you actually can and that's it and all the rest of the time it closes by dusk and it probably is my favorite nighttime park just you know for all kinds of reasons and it's hard hard for us to get there and, and enjoy uh, ioa at night you know it's interesting that you think we talk about this some um, around halloween horror nights but one of the reasons why halloween horror nights is so appealing is you're in the park so late like take away the haunted attractions take away some elements even some of the horror elements the fact that you're in there you're able to ride the attractions you have the things lit up you there's just um uh, there's there's something magical about being in the parks that late. Yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, it's it's weird well, and how it's, that works. And it's it's one of the reasons why we've got to jump on um, one of these trips, the Orlando Informer meetups, because by definition, you are there into the wee hours of the morning. And now that they're using both parks for those, 
Um, we have some scheduling issues where we cannot go to the June one, but uh, I think we're going to work really hard to try to go to the next one. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. I don't know, Islands of Adventure in the summer, How does it usually go past dark? Yes, but not much. Because the the you know the dark is pretty late in Orlando in the summer, and I think in the summer there's plenty of times. I, I I'm saying this without knowing because we don't generally get there in the summer. Um, but I, I believe that it there's plenty of times where it closes seven eight o'clock, and it's not even totally dark uh, by seven o'clock in uh, Orlando in the summer. So it's you know with the Velocicoaster, one of the things that everybody's freaking out about is how cool it looks at night. With the lighting on the on the um, on the train and on the track and so forth, it does. It looks so cool, but that begs the question, right? Is how how often are we going to be able to experience it fully immersed in in darkness, like it can be experienced like that? So, I guess yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, and maybe that will maybe that will be a trigger um, for having more of that. I don't know that they try to uh, try to open increase it up more. the hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, tonight um, we want to spend just a couple of times emphasizing some culture stuff here. Two things in particular, one more than the other. But first, I want to mention uh, something that's happening today. As we're recording this, it is March 19th, 2021. And today, Paul Stanley of KISS released an album called Now and Then with a band that is named Soul Station. Now, he's put this band together back in 2015, so this isn't anything new. He's played some live shows for five or six years with his Soul Station band, uh, but it is basically an R&B, rhythm and blues, Philly blues, Philly soul, and uh, he's, he's released an album that has some covers from The Temptations. He's got four... Uh, original songs on there, three or four original songs. I've listened to some of it. You know, R&B music is not exactly what I typically go for, but it's pretty cool to hear him, you know, experiencing some new things, trying some new things. Uh, everybody tends to think that if you're a rock musician, then that's what you do. That's all you care about. That's all you love. That's all you enjoy. That's all you know. And that's usually not the case. I know most musicians who are professional musicians uh, are unbelievably educated in music all the way around. They usually like different types of music. They just found their niche in one particular area. And so it's not really surprising in that front, but it's pretty wild to hear him sing and to engage with this kind of music. You, you should check it out if you haven't yet. Um, have you had, Have you heard of any of the music or listened to any of it? No, I haven't heard, of, heard any of it. I, I mean, obviously coming from Kiss's background and what we know being, you know, longtime Kiss fans and Gene and Paul and Ace for that matter too, and, and even Peter, the original four, all, you know, all of them came with a love of the uh, the blues and how the blues influenced rock and roll and all of that. Uh, they just did it sort of through Led Zeppelin, if you will. You know, Led Zeppelin, there's a direct track from Led Zeppelin to the blues, and then there's kind of a Led Zeppelin to Kiss line, in a way, is what I would call it. But um, but I haven't heard it, and, you know, true R&B is, of course, a little different. Um, but, yeah, I, I will certainly check it out and, and see. Do you, do you know what kind of reviews the album's getting? Is it getting... I I think, you know, it was it dropped today. I think it's getting, I think it's getting good fairly good reviews. I, you know, I, 
it's it's just that thing you li- what's nice about it is after listening to Paul Stanley sing rock and roll for the last couple of years in a live setting where he just struggles you know to to sing these songs that uh, are difficult to sing he's in a groove more here you know number one he's in the studio but second uh, the the range just isn't near as demanding and he's able to kind of get into the pocket and he sounds good and then the band of course is just phenomenal everything sounds perfect there so i think it's if you enjoy that kind of thing it's good if you like it if you're a kiss fan you're definitely going to want to check it out even if it's not something you're going to return to all that often but he's he's been doing the tour he's been giving the interviews you know the the media stuff and i found this quote to be really interesting and to be really true i have thought this for the last couple of kiss albums uh the guy asks him the question of course, he has to bring it back to Kiss. That probably drives Paul crazy. But he's doing this interview with Soul Station. And one of the last questions the interviewer asks him is, is there any new music in the future for Kiss? Uh, any new Kiss albums? The last Kiss album was Monster in 2012, which was not a good album. And so is, are there any new albums you know, on the way? And this is what Paul says. He says, probably not. He just doesn't see a reason for it. But then he says, you know, here's the thing. Everybody wants us to create and record new music. But then when we create and record new music, they say, great, now play the old stuff that we like. And he says, you can look at any classic rock band on television, watch them play a live performance, turn off the audio, turn down the volume, mute the TV. He says, I'll tell you when they're playing their newer stuff because everybody will sit down. They just want the old stuff, even though they demand new music. And I thought that was, I've always thought that since modern day Delia from Sonic Boom, which was a great song. They played it on the Sonic Boom tour, but they haven't played it since. And it's a really, really good song because no one cares. Everybody wants the old stuff, but yet they demand and they really desire new music. And that's, that is a juxtaposition. I think is somewhat interesting. What do you think is going on there with with that mindset with the fans? Well, I do think it is a situation where they want new music, but what they really want is they want new music that that works exactly like the old music. And even then, it's not going to be sufficient because they don't have, when you talk about these classic rock bands, a huge portion of that is the relationship that the fan has to the band, which is tied in the history, not in the album that comes out today. Uh, I mean, obviously there's a few bands where that's not true. Like for example, great, the grateful dead, um, every time they release new music, their, their fans were all over it and wanted them to play the new stuff in concerts and all of this, because quite honestly, there was a different relationship there is there was a relationship with the, the, the general feeling of the band and the culture of the band, not so much a feeling of, wow, we love this band 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago. Um, it's like it's like they have an appreciation for the whole genre, you know. We, we, we love your music. Not particularly your music, of course, uh, yeah, not, but just yeah, the, the, the genre <laughs> in general. Um, in general, really. Uh, so, uh, you know, so, so anyway, it, yeah, I, I th- it's not surprising, and it's the way it is. And the, the, ju- the, the real truth of the matter is, is the vast majority of the time, the vast majority of the time, the answer is the new music is nowhere near as good. Um, That's right. But even when there is an occasional great song in there, and I think Modern Day Delilah is a pretty good one, it's got no chance. I mean, it can't compete with 
you know, in, in Kiss's case, for example. I mean, it can't compete with with Destroyer and Love Gun and all of that. I mean, you just you just can't possibly win that battle. Well, and Destroyer just this past week uh, turned 45, 45th anniversary of Destroyer. And uh, Paul was talking about how on their tours like this, uh, into the road tour, there's more songs off Destroyer than any other album. What a special treat that was. It kind of broke new ground in recording and whatnot. And uh, yeah, so just, I, I totally agree with you. There's, there is just something different about the old music as it is connected to history and the relationship with the band. You know, Paul says oh, it's like wine. It has to age. Maybe modern day Delilah at some point will become a song that's understood to be a classic, but I don't think so. Uh, I think no. those days are, those days are gone. I agree. For them. Well, <clears throat> let's, let's, let's talk about something. And this is, this is why we, we call it coasters and culture. We like to talk about a variety of things that interest us. And we have talked about what is my, my opinion. I think yours too. The greatest sports movie of all time, which is the 1986 classic Hoosiers starring Gene Hackman. It just doesn't get any better than this. And I said to you on the phone earlier, I, I'm joking. You know, I, I'm joking, of course, uh, somewhat joking. We'll get as many spinal tap quotes in here as we can. But I was saying maybe it's just the best movie ever. It, it's just so good. It's incredible. But there's one very nuanced thing we want to talk about. Obviously, there's just no way to talk about the whole movie. But here's here's one specific thing for us to talk about tonight. And that is we love Coach Norman Dell. Okay. Uh, we know him now. We, he's like one of our best friends. We're behind him. We support him. We want him to succeed. What he does with Hickory is incredible. And so when you rewatch the movie, you have those presuppositions coming into the film that were on Normandale's side, right? But I watched one scene a couple of days ago, the scene where he comes into the gym for the first time, and the classic guy is doing the, uh, you can't score if you don't shoot, you know, he's doing the coaching stuff. And... Um, Norman comes up and the coach says, oh, hey, there you are, mister. You know, um, I thought we would just kind of go 20 on, 10 off and basically says we're going to work our way into this thing slowly and get our feet wet and not rush and just take our time and let you get your get your bearings here and everything. And in response to that, Coach Dale says, let's just be real friendly here. First, my name is Norman. Second, your coaching days are over. And and it just struck me that, you know, is Coach Dell kind of a jerk here? Uh, is Was that the right approach to take as he's coming in, the new guy, the old guy, uh, the, 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 you know, the burnout guy, whatever, in, the, in the, the small community that all they know is basketball? And and he just comes in and he's kind of hard right from the beginning and he does not relent really the rest of the movie and i just thought maybe we can discuss that real quick number one do you agree with that does he come off pretty hard at the beginning maybe even more so than we realize and second why would he do such a thing what do you think yeah i do think he comes in really strong and really hard and harder than you would expect someone perhaps in his position where he's getting another opportunity uh, to coach after these issues he's had at the college level. But I believe there's a couple of reasons for that. And I, I think the first one is he, as, as is true for most people, when you are put in this type of a position, you don't naturally drop back into a very um, 
penitent state, uh, if you will, where you are being very uh, humble and you're dealing with all of this, you actually get mad and frustrated because you know it's not fair or you're better than that or whatever, or you feel those, whether you, it's true or not. And I think that's where Norman Dale was, is, is he was appreciative of being brought in by his friend to do this. I don't think there's any doubt of that. But when it gets right down to basketball, I believe he feels, I'm great at this. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to make this team work, and I am going to use that to move back into the basketball world. I really believe that that's what he's thinking at the beginning of the movie when he gets there. Um, you know, he'd been in the Navy, I believe it was, right? He, was, he had gone into the Navy and then got out, and so this was his chance to try to move himself back in to the uh, game and hopefully sort of back into the, I, one would assume, the college level, which at that time was the highest level. You know, the NBA at that time was not much to talk about. And so I think that that's leading him that way. He doesn't really care that he's going to make them mad. He doesn't really care that he's not going to endear himself to the community because he's not planning on being there long, and he needs to do what he needs to do. And the last thing he needs is to have um, these local yokels in his mind out here trying to tell him how to play basketball. Yeah, so just to clarify that then, what you're saying is, is your take at the beginning of the movie that Coach Dell sees Hickory as his opportunity to climb the ladder, as it were, to get back to the highest level of coaching. So he needs to succeed here in order to achieve his goals there. That's what you're saying. To some degree, absolutely. Is He is not coming to Hickory with the idea of, I want to, I want to coach this high school basketball team my last 10 or 15 years of coaching. No way. There's no way that's what's going on at the beginning. He is thinking, I have to get back in. Nobody is giving me an, a, a chance or option of any kind. My friend here is going to allow me to do it here. I've got to take that and go. And I, when we spoke about this briefly earlier, I made the uh, allusion to Rick Pitino. And I just think it's a great um, analogy is after all this stuff that happened in Louisville, no, no college team was really going to look to hire him right then as great a coach as he is and in my opinion he is one of the two or three best college coaches in our lifetime um but he went to greece and immediately took a mediocre team there and won the championship with them and basically said i'm a great coach guys yeah these things happen but i'm a great coach and he was able to come back to the u.s go to a very, very irrelevant type of college team, and they're in the NCAA tournament. I'm sure that sits real well, by the way, with, um, you know, John Calipari and the Kentucky fans. <laughs> yeah, I know it. And I'm sure that whoever is listening who attends that uh, college appreciates us calling their school irrelevant, but nevertheless. <laughs> well, we're talking about this in the overall scheme of things. I of mean, course. we know uh, what we're saying, right? Is I, I assure if, you. If, yeah. yeah, I assure you this is true. And if Patino stays there, I'll tell you what, if he stays there over the next two or three years, they're going to have the greatest run in their history uh, because, you know, for all of his awfulness and terribleness and many ways of his personality and who he is, the dude is an unbelievable basketball coach. I mean, I just... actually did not know that his team is in the NCAA tournament. Yes. 
Yeah, I, I didn't know that. They they were like the uh, I, I'm I'm going to butcher this, but they were like the sixth or seventh seed in the tournament, and they won the conference tournament to make it to the um, to make it to the NCAA tournament. Oh, okay. So they wouldn't have made it otherwise if they no. hadn't won their conference. No, okay. no, they're, they're in they're in a conference that that's the only way you make it. Got it. So, yeah. So did, have they played their first round? No, I, I don't think so. I, I'm not, be honest. I'm not really following. It's so weird this year. I'm not I know, really dude. I know it's incredible. Yeah, like, nobody but, but back, seems to care. But, but back to the point. I mean, I, again, I, I don't. I don't see that as any any big negative but i you know if you know what i'm saying about think about us and it could be truthfully with us it could be any number of things but for the moment let's talk about theme parks right think about us and theme parks if if we walked into a conference room full of people that wanted to start talking about theme parks and it was just the 50 people off the street nobody that knew anything our reaction is not going to be Hey, let's get together and really hear all of your input about everything and what you think about how the Harry Potter World theme park works. Um, you know, uh, because that's what you would start doing. We would be like, you know, you guys, you don't know anything. You know, you don't know anything. Now, we of course would not have quite the abrasiveness of Norman Dale because right. we're we're a little we're sort of different people than that. But that's what he's thinking, right? And that's what he's feeling, and. I guess he's pulling out his, uh, you know, his occasional inner Rex. Um, to but that's just him all the time. I, I've, there's been a lot of jokes over the years that I'm sure many of our fans uh, listening remember, where I, I have a tendency to sort of pull out, you know, some phrases. Not being a total jerk, but just you know, being a minor jerk and more, minor. more for minor. more more for humor than anything. But you know, for the people on the other side of it, they may not always fully appreciate that. Well, I mean, I'm usually the one laughing over on the side at, at your your uh, response to some things. But yeah, man, I think that this idea of proving he can win, that's what his focus is at the time. And it's just interesting to see here how the community, think, think about this for a minute. There's no doubt that this community, on the one hand, knows basketball. In some ways, that's what the whole community is built around, is the local Hickory High School basketball program. They know the sport. They know how it works. They they understand the games. They they they're certainly rooting. Uh, they're they're huge fans, and it's kind of what you see in professional sports to a degree today. Uh, any city that has a professional sporting team, well, you're in Denver, so take the Rockies or the Broncos. The people who go to those events, um, they know they love the sport. But there is a difference between a diehard superfan who still loves and knows the sport and a coach who knows how to coach. Those well, are still two different things. And so I, I, I want to make sure we say, well, it's not that the, Hickory is just they don't know anything about basketball. That's not fair. No, of but course they're not. They're not Coach Dell. But, they don't understand. To go, go to ahead. one of my favorite – well, to go to one of my favorite scenes, right, um, when he's um, – He's putting uh, the kid back on the bench and is not, you know, he's going to play with the four players and all of this. You don't see a shot of the stands and a lot of people being like, oh, yeah, he knows That's what he's right. doing. 
but you see one guy that one does. One guy. That's and right. that's the guy that knows as much basketball as Norman Dale does. And you, he, and of course, talking about Shooter there, and Shooter, Shooter gets it. He sees it. He knows what's going on. And so all these people that really know basketball that are in the stands aren't getting it at all. They're just ticked off because they want to win this game tonight right there. And, um, and, and so that, that is sort of uh, indicative of the point you're making there. Yeah. I want to highlight something you said earlier on the on the phone. I thought this was such a good point and you can kind of take it and run with it. But we're we're talking about how he's coming in. He's coming in pretty strong. He's got to win. You said, you know, it's not going to work. What I said is it would make sense to me. The guy's idea is let's come in. Let's get your feet wet, kind of get things going slow. Hey, sure. That seems like a good approach to me. Right. I mean, that, that, to me, that makes a lot of sense. The guy's coming in. He hasn't coached in a while. A new community, something he hasn't done. Yeah. Let's move slow. But you're, you're seeing, no, Coach Dell can't afford to go 12 and 10. He, he could do that. He could do that by just coming in, kind of picking up on where they were and letting them shoot and do their thing. They could go 12 and 10 just fine. But he can't do that. And he feels like this may be his chance to reclaim what he knows he's good at. And here's what I thought you said that was so great. You're like, you know, Shooter lost his chance because of his own failings, which is exactly what happened with Norman Dell. Shooter has turned himself over to those failings and has basically lost the chance for redemption. And Norman doesn't want that to happen. He, he doesn't want to fall into that same hole that Shooter has fallen into. Therefore, Norman does for Shooter what the superintendent does for Norman. That was a really brilliant insight there, I think. If you want to pick up on that, maybe a little more. Yeah, no, I, I really do see them as mirror images of each other. In effect, uh, Norman Dale does for Shooter what his friend has done for him to try to allow him an opportunity to come back and return to something that he was great at, but which a personal failing, um, you know, kept him from being able to continue to maximize ability, talent, life, and all of that. Um, and I, so I do think there is absolutely that, um, that there. And, and I also want to say that, as I mentioned, I, I think, as is true in almost every good movie, Norman Dale is an evolving character. Yes. He, he does not stay and does not feel toward the middle or certainly not the end of the movie the way I am saying I believe he feels at the beginning. And again, I'll give you another example. In the scene where they are having the city council meeting or the town meeting to decide whether he stays or not, right? And in that moment when they are voting and they vote him out and Jimmy comes in and he says, coach stays, I stay, coach goes, I go. And they obviously do the voice vote, come back in. When you see Norman Dale's face and when you see what's going on there, it is beyond the idea. I guarantee you, he is not sitting there thinking, to follow on my statement from the beginning, he's not sitting there thinking, aha, they are going to let me coach so I can continue to look good here and go get another job and whatever. That's not the foremost thing on his mind at that point. At that point, he is thinking, someone else is standing up for me. Someone else is allowing me to try to overcome these past demons. And he is excited about that because they're at the beginning. I mean, I have to tell you, if that meeting 
happened. The day after the first practice, I believe based on the character, there is a chance that Normandale would be like, screw you, I'm not coming back after you guys all voted me out now just because he's coming that you think that's okay i think he'd be he would have walked i think he'd have left the town and and been like they don't know any better they're stupid and i'm leaving but by this point he was no longer focused on himself in that manner but he had changed his his position to where it mattered to him about not only Jimmy standing up for him but how the kids worked together with him and how they were coming along and he saw it um, and and that's a big step. And, of course, we can talk about the end when he's clearly come all the way around. I still don't think he's staying in Hickory long term, but that has right. nothing to do with his feelings uh, for the kids, for the town, for the people. You know, there is a, there is a theme emerging here that I've, I'm really just picking up on. Obviously, the redemption of Coach Dell has always, always been there. But when you were talking about that scene where Jimmy stands up and says, Coach goes, I go, and that that meant something to him because here is someone else who is standing up for him. And now maybe Coach Dell is beginning to feel this idea of I want to win not for me, but for them who are standing up for me. One of the most pivotal and most important and most beautiful scenes in the entire movie supports this very theme of redemption that we're talking about. And it's the second game. So Ray who is the guy who he kept on the bench and said, my team is on the court when there's only four players. In the second game, Coach Dale once again gets in trouble. They're at a visiting uh, team's gym. And remember, the players come out and they're yelling. And he said, who are you calling? Or whatever. And you for one. And, and then what happens? He gets pushed. Coach Dale gets pushed by one of the players. And Ray comes in and punches the guy. And that is in my opinion, another major turning of the corner for Coach Dell, and it, 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 it buffers up against this theme that you're talking about because now Ray, the very guy that he benched, is standing up for Coach Dell and believing in him. I think we have something we're really going to have to pursue here in, in greater detail. Well, and remember scene. what happens right after that, too, that supports that, right? Is is it, at first glance, may not seem like what you would expect the reaction to be. When he says, as they're walking off together, he says, I got him good, didn't I, coach? And, and Dale, or Dale says, yeah, you got him good, you yeah. know? And it's like, that's not what you would necessarily expect the reaction and the interaction to be. But Norman Dale, as a coach, is understanding this. He didn't do this out of anger for himself. He didn't do this because he just got mad and lost his cool. He's standing up for me. You know, that's yeah. what's going yeah. on. And I'm not going to take this moment to tear that down. Oh, uh, yeah. And, mm. and so that, that is a big one. And, I, I, you know, I guess this has become the whole podcast. But you can't – you got to just sort of finish it off with – it is after the Jimmy incident, I mean, after the city council and Jimmy standing up for him, it's after that that we once again see Norman Dale taking the next step for Shooter um. and getting himself thrown out of the game so that Shooter gets the opportunity to show and to prove what he wants. And, um, I mean, I just think it's an amazing circle, and 90% of this – First time viewing, second time viewing, just goes right over your head. But the emotion is there, and, and whether you realize it on a conscious level or not, you appreciate this concept. 
And that is the very word, emotion. This movie will bring it out of you in some phenomenal ways. And the more we talk about it, just the more brilliant I believe it really is. And, and I think some of those themes, definitely those mirroring aspects, were absolutely intentional. I, I don't think we're just now reading back into the film. I think there was some beautiful, beautiful writing and directing happening here. And uh, that's gorgeous, man. Well... I guess we better wrap this up, but that's Coasters and Culture with Rex and the Beast. Let us know your thoughts. Really, seriously, please let us know what you think about our commentary there on the movie Hoosiers. Uh, if you agree with us concerning the evolving of Coach Dell throughout the movie and how there is a theme of uh, support for him, a theme of redemption that's taking place throughout the movie. So unbelievably cool. Rex, as always, it's been great, man. And uh, we hope you'll tune in next Monday for Coasters and Culture. Until then, this is The Beast saying, be strong and courageous. RexandTheBeast.com. Join the journey. 